0: You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Quest for Sustainable Business, an epic journey in search of corporate responsibility. Breakdown and Breakthrough. Navigating the Chaos. Capitalism in Crisis. I first visited Budapest in August 2003 when I presented a paper on corporate social responsibility and personal meaning in life at the European Business Ethics Network conference. This captured some of the early findings from my PhD research, more about this in a later episode. I stayed together with my academic colleagues from Nottingham University's International Centre for CSR at the fabulous Danubius Hotel Gellert, in the central district of Buda with the river Danube on the one side and a green hill on the other. The hotel, and my visit, is most memorable for its thermal pools, built in 1918. I had another opportunity to visit in November 2011 as a keynote speaker at CSR Hungary's annual conference. One intriguing question I remember from the conference was, is the employment of disabled people a neglected issue in sustainable business? I think it is, but that may be because it gets swept up in the human resources function under the topic of diversity management. For those interested in this question... My Malaysian friend Sanjukta Kaul is researching this topic for her PhD at Monash University. Another memory from the conference, far more profane than profound, was a surprising and delightfully delicious Hungarian dish that we had for lunch, rice and sour cherries. These visits aside, what I really want to share in this episode are some of the things I have learned from two Hungarians, even though I have not met one of them. George Soros, and the other, Ervin Laszlo, I interviewed by telephone. Both were profiled in the top 50 sustainability books, for their books The Crisis of Global Capitalism and The Chaos Point, respectively. They are two very different characters, Soros, a Hungarian-born billionaire investor, philanthropist and author, and Laszlo, a Hungarian scientist and leading writer on systems philosophy, and general evolution theory. And yet, they both bring us warnings of how our global society is at risk due to poor systemic design. Let's begin with Soros. Soros is one of the super rich winners of Western capitalism. In 1992, he earned himself international notoriety and the nickname of the man who broke the Bank of England after speculating on the pound sterling, believing it was overvalued, and earning himself $1.1 billion in the process. Beyond this single speculative jackpot, however, his quantum fund is one of the most successfully managed investment funds ever, increasing more than 30% annually over a 30-year period. Such an impressive track record makes it all the more interesting that it is highly critical of Western capitalism in general, and global financial markets in particular. In The Crisis of Global Capitalism, his book, Soros warns that global stability is threatened by the emergence of market fundamentalism, the belief that our common interest is best served by individual decision-making, and that any attempt to maintain the common interest through government intervention distorts the market mechanism. It is market fundamentalism, Soros insists, that has rendered the global capitalist system unsound and unsustainable. The ideology of market fundamentalism is profoundly and irredeemably flawed. Market forces, if they are given complete authority, even in the purely economic and financial arenas, produce chaos and could ultimately lead to the downfall of the global capitalist system." Soros believes that the development of a global economy has not been matched by the development of a global society. International law and international institutions, insofar so far as they exist, are not strong enough to prevent war or the large-scale abuse of human rights in individual countries. Ecological threats are not adequately dealt with, and global financial markets, which are inherently unstable and do not care about social and environmental needs, Are largely beyond the control of national or international authorities. He says, We live in a global economy, but the political organization of our global society is woefully inadequate. We are bereft of the capacity to preserve peace and to counteract the excesses of the financial markets. Without these controls, the global economy is liable to break down. Towards open societies. Soros criticises the global capitalist system on two counts. First, market fundamentalists erroneously believe that markets tend towards equilibrium. However, financial markets are characterised by booms and busts as a result of self-reinforcing loops in the economic and trading system. Hence the potential for disequilibrium is inherent in the financial system. It is not just the result of external shocks. As he told Congress, financial markets are supposed to swing like a pendulum. Instead, financial markets behave more like a wrecking ball, swinging from country to country and knocking over the weaker ones. It is difficult to escape the conclusion that the international financial system itself constituted the main ingredient in the meltdown process. Soros' second critique is the failure of politics and the erosion of moral values on both the national and international level. Soros distinguishes between making rules, which is a collective decision, and playing by the rules, which is an individual decision. He notes that this distinction is rarely observed, particularly with politicians who too often put personal interests above public interests. This is exacerbated by the promotion of self-interest to a moral principle. The result is that markets are enjoying free reign in areas where they should not have any influence, ranging from moral values and family relationships to aesthetic and intellectual achievements with destructive and demoralizing effects. Soros believes that the choice confronting us is whether we will regulate global financial markets internationally or leave it to each individual state to protect its interests as best it can. The latter course will surely lead to the breakdown of the gigantic circulatory system which goes under the name of global capitalism. Soros believes capitalism needs democracy as a counterweight because the capitalist system by itself shows no tendency towards equilibrium. While communism has been worse than the disease it tried to cure, market fundamentalism is not the cure either. Soros says, Communism abolished the market mechanism and imposed collective control over all economic activities. Market fundamentalism seeks to abolish collective decision-making and to impose the supremacy of market values over all political and social values. Both extremes are wrong. What we need is a correct balance between politics and markets, between rulemaking and playing by the rules. The solution Soros proposes is the promotion of an open society, a term coined by Karl Popper and meaning a society that is in contrast to totalitarian societies founded on democracy and the rule of law, both elements that Soros believes market fundamentalism erodes. Within an open society, there is an acknowledgement that institutions are flawed and that errors are made. But rather than this being a reason to abandon the institutional arrangements, it simply calls for error-correcting mechanisms to protect both markets and democracy. Soros makes it clear that he does not want to abolish capitalism. In spite of its shortcomings, he says, it is better than the alternatives. Instead, he says, I want to prevent the global capitalist system from destroying itself. Chaos Looming Laszlo comes at the problem from a different angle. He serves as president of the Club of Budapest, a futures-oriented think-tank, and as head of the General Evolution Research Group, which he founded. As the author of a staggering 70 books, Laszlo has tirelessly sought to understand how society and the environment function as a complex evolutionary system and how we can and must intervene to prevent our own self-destruction. He told me in my interview, I've been working with systems theory, especially the way complex systems evolve over time, and I've been recognizing that this evolution is strongly non-linear. That means it goes through periodic quantum leaps. And if you apply this to human society, then you get the insight that when you reach a critical threshold in the development of society, then a sudden non-linear change is likely to occur. That particular conviction has led me to think about whether we are approaching such a threshold, and if we are, how to call attention to it, because such change is normally unforeseen, often unpredictable, and it's extremely abrupt. It needs to be anticipated as much as possible and prepared for, Because even though it's unpredictable, it's not unguidable, which is a big difference. I was especially intrigued that Laszlo spoke about this chaos point we are entering as essentially having only two outcomes, breakdown or breakthrough. When I asked him about this, he said, that is the particular meaning of a tipping point. It is not just a phase change. A tipping point has an uncertainty element. It can go this way or that. I usually say that a tipping point is known by the fact that only two things are impossible at the tipping point. One is the status quo, and the other is returning to a past level of stability, which you can no longer re-establish exactly the way it was. So you either find a way to move forward, to re-establish stability on a new level, in a new form, or you risk the collapse of the system. Leslow talks about two paths of growth that society can pursue. The first is based on conquest, colonization and consumption, and the other is based on connection, communication and consciousness. I asked him to elaborate on these. He said, We can also talk about external growth or internal growth. Typically external growth is conquest. If you want to annex, conquer, or colonize more and more, you're becoming richer, becoming more powerful, and extending your dominion over things. This was possible while we still had areas like the Wild West, unconquered areas. You could colonize people, you could move over to fresh areas and obtain new resources. Now we have reached the point of saturation in this respect. There is nothing left to colonize. In fact, the formerly colonized people are rising up and saying that they want to have their own identity, their own autonomy. So you can't just simply proceed like this. End quote. This may be true politically, but surely we are seeing a new pattern of conquest in the economic sphere as the West shifts its investments to emerging markets. And emerging markets seek out resources to fuel their growth, such as China in Africa. Laszlo agrees, saying this is an attempt to extend the power and this sphere of influence of business companies so people will buy their products and they will be able to become richer and more powerful through a larger and larger territory that they can cover. So that is also an extensive form of growth, but it is not the only kind. Connection and Consciousness I knew from reading Laszlo's book that the other kind was more about connection and communication, but I wondered if that was purely driven by the IT revolution, or something different. Laszlo answered that it is driven by a consciousness revolution, of which the IT revolution is only one element. It is a recognition, he explained, that development is not only a horizontal, extensive development. Development means very largely an intensive development, increasing the quality of life as opposed to the quantity of the material standard of life. A certain level of material standards is necessary for a quality of life, but beyond that it becomes self-defeating. So the ambition in the longer term is to go for quality, that means the kind of relations that people have to each other and to the environment, which has to be a multifaceted, closed connection, a connection of communication. In other words, a sort of communion rather than a relationship of conquest and subjugation. I wanted to ground the conversation a bit, so I asked how all this is relevant to business. Laszlo explained If you think of yourself as being separate from the world, if you think of the world as being material and mechanistic, then you try to manipulate it and just pursue your own interests independently of the interests of others. You try to simply impose your own thinking and your own interests on others. This kind of mindset is creating the problem and in business it is creating the shareholder philosophy, the idea that business only is responsible to its own shareholders, its owners and its responsibility to anything else is secondary if it exists at all. The shareholder philosophy is the concept that one business is separate from another business, separate from the communities in which it operates, separate from nature. It has only itself to account for because it is an entity purely in its own right. Now this has been changing towards a stakeholder philosophy. That is certainly true, although the grip of shareholder-driven capitalism is still an iron fist with a deadly force. Perhaps climate change is a global challenge that can shake off the short-termism of the markets and get us thinking systematically and systemically about our long-term future. I asked Laszlo what he thought. Climate change is a two-edged sword, he said. It could be a very positive thing, and it could also be, of course, a dangerous thing, depending on its consequences. If James Lovelock is right, and we'll only have 600 million people being able to survive on this planet for the next 100,000 years, then it's a catastrophic process. If, however, we can still turn it around, not necessarily going back to the previous climate, but to make the climate livable for the entire human population, Of course, it could be a very positive thing. Because it is visible, it is experienced by people much more so than the intricacies of the world's financial system. Climate change is evident, and therefore it triggers a mentality of change. So in that sense, it's very good. The big $64 billion question is whether this reaches a point where it becomes irreversible and catastrophic, or whether this threat that is evident in the change of the climate Can motivate positive behavioral change, operational change, in society in time. Given the odds and Laszlo's deep knowledge about how social and environmental systems adapt and change, is he optimistic or pessimistic about the future? I wouldn't consider myself an optimist, he told me, because I think an optimist is a dangerous person, in the sense that an optimist might believe that this is the best of all possible worlds or at least a very good world. If you do that, then you're not particularly motivated to change it. A pessimist is just as dangerous because he thinks you can't change this world. You have to be in between. You have to recognize that the world is changeable and that it's in need of change. My kind of systemic optimism comes through in the fact that I find that the world is in need of change and at the same time it's beginning to change. Quite rapidly, in fact, people are waking up to the fact that you can't go on as you have, and you'd better start changing. This was not even the case in the 1970s when the Club of Rome report first came out. It has started becoming the case in the 90s, and now, in the last five years, it's been moving forward very rapidly. I think Laszlo's right, and even if he isn't, I believe the only way to be effective in the world is to be an activist, for making things better.